You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators panel is back, this time taking a look back at the 9-3 season and Dan Mullen's first season. I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown and Couch Tweeter Extraordinaire. Uh, pairing up once again with Uncle Silk from the Big Three rolled up to bring you this panel. Silk, uh, we're bringing Gator Nation together once again. It's always great to hang out with you guys, bro. All right, and uh, we'll have everybody. Most people can see uh, everybody that's uh, joining us on the graphic, but we'll have everybody going around and uh, introduce themselves. Starting with you, Zach Albaverde. What's up, everyone? Zach Albaverde from Gator Bait Magazine and ESPN Gainesville. Hope everyone's doing well. Tate Casey, uh, former tight end, University of Florida, Gator sideline reporter. Uh, Florida football. Go ahead, Micah. Uh, Micah Chapman, uh, just a fan, y'all, just just a fan. But I'm here right now, man. Louisiana flavor on the on the pod. So Gator panel, y'all, y'all follow me if y'all need to, you know. Nick Del Toro, right. follow Micah. Shout your stuff <laughs> out, Micah. Yeah, let them know where to follow you. You can follow me everywhere. I mean, Facebook is it's all there. Micah Chapman, straight like that. Straight yeah. to the point. <laughs> Thomas Goldcamp, 24-7 and 24-7 sports here. I'm here to throw a little extra K's and side sauce into the mix. <laughs> Graham Hall, Gainesville Sun, Gator Bait Magazine. Good to be here, guys, always. My dog. Dan Thompson, I think you're on mute if you're trying to introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Dan Thompson, Gator Country, the full glass of whiskey. Off you. <laughs> All right, that's everybody joining us here for this uh, postseason edition of the Gator panel. And, uh, of course, we let's start by looking back at the Gators destroying FSU Silk. It was the perfect end to the season, uh, and the narrative amongst the big three certainly has changed in this 2018 season. Yeah, the narrative took took a big turn. I mean, it's been turning all season, man. We just had to take care of business, uh, roll up to the dope Campbell housing projects and, and just do what we did all season, man. Beat terrible teams. So Frank's had his best game of the season. Um, had a couple throws that was a little off, but, but overall product of Frank's, he led well, he ran the ball well, he played tough, made big throws. Uh, defense came, we gave up a couple drives. I think we could have caught some time. I to stop those 14 points. I wanted to blanket them, to be honest with you, but – I think we would have called timeouts and stopped both of those scoring drives, but we didn't. Overall, we beat them in every phase of the game. I can't complain, bro. Thomas, go ahead, take. No, I was going to say, I mean, I, I agree with you. A couple of times, Tempo got the best of us there on those uh, on those 14 points and, and uh, a few miscommunications. But, you know, I think all in all, you mentioned Frank's playing his best game. I think in that first half, Dan Mullen's frustration and John Hevesy's frustration mostly came from the offensive line 
in certain things where we missed blocks that would have sprung plays for touchdowns. I think it was about three hits from listening on the sidelines, three hits that they were pretty ticked off knowing they had the call they wanted in the right scheme and, uh, and we missed it. So, I mean, all in all, when you look back at that game, we played pretty good on offense, played pretty good on defense. He played about as good as he could have on special teams considering not having many return opportunities uh, and coverage down the field. But, you know, you got to give credit to the defense. The defense showed up, and then Felipe Franks managed the game like we really knew he he should in order to win. And and so when you limit turnovers and play, you know, run game and, and pass game like we did and the receiver showed up, uh, that's a big-time win for Florida. That was the one thing I think they needed to cap off the season. You lose that game and, and really the narrative for, for the offseason and the postseason a little bit different just in terms of, uh, you know, dampening down the Gators' mood turning the corner. That was a big thing with McElwain. It was like you had such a, a good start to seasons and then you lose a, a late game to Missouri. You get whooped by Florida State. Then you go to Atlanta and, and Alabama sacrifices you to the football gods. And it's just like, all right, well, we started the season well, but you go in with this into the off season and into recruiting with this bad taste and, and yeah. a bad feeling about it. So I agree I, with you there. You lose to Florida State, and not only does that hurt recruiting, but it's just another year. Willie Taggart used to tell recruits, this is the worst team I'm going to have ever at Florida State, and they couldn't beat us. Um, so it was a huge win. And then to do a 41-14, that, that was a whole other thing. And not only that, when you talk about the McElwain years, the, the fourth quarter, you know, we, we could not close games out. You know, those, especially last year, when you look at the fourth quarters last year where you couldn't close games out, those were the games that this year when you look at, you're like, man, they actually did a job showing up in the fourth quarter closing games out. So big, you know, hats off to Dan Moan and his staff, but I really give a hat off to Nick Savage. I mean, and what he's been able to accomplish with the mindset and the, and the uh, mental toughness. And really, that's about the most exciting thing I'm looking, looking forward to next year is what he's going to be able to do under year two with an offseason with these guys. And, and so especially some of these young guys got a lot of playing time this year. Yeah, Thomas, before we uh, come in here and hit record, you, you were one of the first ones in here, and you brought up out of the blue, you know, just that the first thing you brought up was just how big this FSU win was. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it, and we just hit on a lot of it. I mean, just the whole narrative in the offseason. But I think more than anything, and kind of going to, to Tate's point about, you know, what they're able to build on in the offseason now, um, this has been a Florida team that really hasn't known how to win for a long time. And I think the only way you can kind of get over that hump, you know, really winning at an elite kind of championship level is you do it piece by piece. And, you know, having lost five in a row to Florida State, this is a win that guys are going to look back on and say, look, if we just buy into what these coaches are selling throughout the offseason. Um, we're going to put ourselves in position to win more games, not just like this one, but like the LSU game, you know, like that Georgia game where they were in a total fourth quarter, but maybe just didn't quite do a couple things right. I think you're able to sell that not only to the players and the program, but also to recruits. And that's so, so much different than coming in, you know, losing, to, losing a game to an FSU like this. Uh, it's just a completely different ballgame now. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Thomas made a good point that they just didn't know how to win. I think confidence was one of the things that we talked about in this panel before the season started and that this team really struggled with confidence. They struggled with the ability to win and being able to find that that next level. And they had a couple come from behind wins this year, uh, but also only leading 13-7 to seven going into halftime. Uh, where they left a bunch of points on the board. I, you know, I think in the past they may have, you know, been down on themselves and everything else. But you saw uh, Dan Mullen's speech during halftime, uh, where he was calm. He, you know, he pushed them a little bit harder, and they they went out and and scored what the eighth most points that they've ever scored against FSU ever. So, uh, I mean, that's a huge testament to what they've done, and you know, really turned a corner. And I think that that gives a huge level of confidence, not only to most of the team, but I think to players like Felipe Franks, who's been really looking for a game where he can show out. And I think that he picked a, a great game to do so. 
Yeah, like like most of these guys said, it was basically just them going out and doing what they needed to do against a, a bad team. We all seen FSU throughout the year. Um, they, they've been doing this the whole season. It's been bad. The O-line was bad. When you have an O-line that bad, you want your D-line to come out and just dominate. Um, that's what most of the guys did. Um, Felipe, he the last three games, he, he looked as, as good as we've seen him in a Gator uniform, as good as we, we could have expected. So he, he's grown a lot. The offensive line, um, which was much maligned throughout the whole season, um, they, they grew up to a point where you could rely on them to, to open up the holes. And the Pirine play specifically for me was one of the ones that, that was really nice, especially with Ivy on the edge, uh, setting the edge for him. And Pirine outrunning that whole defense where they weren't even in the screen. Like, that's how bad FSU is now. So it was, it was an expected win, but one – um, you wanted them to come out and dominate, and that's just what they did, especially in the second half. Also, yeah, that game, oh, one, one second. When that game, like, it was the first time where it looked like we had the better athletes in the last five years, I would say. Like, a receiver, when Grimes called a slant, it's been a long time I've seen a, a Florida wide receiver catch a slant like that and go that many yards. Run away from people. Yeah, running away from people, man. And um, I just think, like, you can see the, the different in coaching – also, there's no gap in talent whatsoever. Like, we, we closed that fast. Everybody else thought it was going to be at least a year or two before we closed that gap, but it closed fast. Well, listen, we talked about it earlier in the year. The talent, the talent's there. I mean, that was the one thing that, like, the, that we even, I say, last year is the development process was not there. That was one thing we struggled with huge was we weren't developing guys. And when you look at some of the guys we had that were older, and I've even heard Coach say, like, guys like Moral Stevens and, and older guys that are seniors – would have loved to have them for like two more years. And it's a tragedy that those guys are gone because with two years under Savage and offseason and the development, they could have been some stud players. And, and not that they aren't right now, but that was the one thing that was missing. When you look at like, and I'll touch on the receivers, you just said it, the receiving core right now in the last five games, I mean, especially this past week, beating man coverage. When you look at like Van Jefferson's route up the middle where he's got a, a DB stumbling over himself, Ooh, falling down. Nasty. That's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that I think on the last panel we even talked about. I, I was more concerned about receivers finally starting to run routes the right way and beating man coverage. That's the certain things you look for as a player that we used to do in 06, 08, that you had seven receivers that could beat anybody you put on them. These guys have the ability to do that, but you also got to learn to be a good receiver. I'll tell you what I'm damn proud of is the fact that these receivers can block. And when you talk about our run game, there's a reason our run game is what it is and averaging over two, 210 a game this year is because the receivers add to that, the tight ends add to that, they can all do their job and block. And that's one thing that Dan Mullen will do. He'll get creative and shift some people around. But, man, you got to give kudos to Billy G because Billy G has really started to develop that wide receiver group. And then Coach, uh, Coach Scott has really started to develop the tight ends to where – you're playing six a game at times. Miami and, and fans good to see. and Florida State fans caught my tweets in the spring because I, I noticed that blocking. I was like, man, we've been out here 30 minutes of practice and the receivers haven't touched a ball yet. And, and they were trying to clown on it. But, I mean, you see it in the third quarter, fourth quarter, second half of the season, plays that would normally go for five yards going 15-20 because that extra effort blocking down the field. But, dude, that's what Billy – see, that's the thing, though. Billy G, the first thing he's going to establish when he gets there is – can you block? Because if you can't block in this offense, you ain't going to play. That's just plain and simple. You're not going to get the ball. We're not even going to put you four pass plays. If you're going to be a receiver, you're going to block. And then I'm going to find out who the five to ten guys are who can do that every other snap. And you're playing 60 snaps a game. You're only going to get, what, five balls Five balls during the game. You better be able to play the other 55 snaps to 100, 110%. Give me what you got. 
We need to put running backs one-on-one with a safety. That's the goal of this offense. Get the lanes, get the running back one-on-one with a safety. And if I don't have a running back at the University of Florida that could beat a safety in any other team we play one-on-one, I need a new running back. And we'll go find him in recruiting, or we'll find somebody on the bench that can, and then we'll go from there. All right, Graham and Zach. Yeah, pretty much what you guys have all been saying. Um, this was a game in my mind that was decided back in December last year when when Dan Mullen was able to bring you know, most of his coaching staff from Mississippi State, and Willie Taggart had a very publicized issue bringing the guys that he wanted. And that was very clear. You know, Nick Savage was a very early priority for him. Um, and if anything, what, what the last year has done is, is not only shown how far coaching can go with talent, but how critical, you know, those, those nine months are of the offseason development and, and having a strength coach who knows what they're doing and a, a strength coach who is not, you know, a geriatric. That, that, is, that is really what it is. You need a guy who is in tune with what makes, um, what, what makes it special, what, a weight, what makes a weight program special. And, and that is changing every year, it seems. And, and it seems like Nick Savage is, is the guy for that program. And that's going to, you know, make up any gaps in recruiting that Florida may have had an issue with. And, and you know, I, I don't think, you know, obviously, Tate, you can speak to that as well. But I don't think that the strength and conditioning program w- you know, was anywhere near as good as it is right now. Wasn't even close. In the last decade. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't close. It dropped off. I mean, it dropped off when 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 Marathi left, it really dropped off. You know, at least he could, when you bring in Muschamp and you've got Dillman, you know, I, I won't go as far as to say a geriatric with Dillman. I mean, cheerleader, maybe. Um, but but at least the guy had some juju to him and, and he brought a little bit of intensity to to strength and conditioning coach. After that, I think he's not talking about him. <laughs> no, I know he's not talking about him, but but I'm just saying after him, I, I, I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it. It, it just it wasn't what it was. I mean, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even. It, it My was kid was running Zumba, bro. Than night and day, and it was <laughs> to the point where if you got guys going to the gym down on 34th Street just to get a workout in because they don't trust what's going on in the facility, man, that's a problem. That is a true problem. I always had a game of health and fitness with some football players during uh, Mike Kent's tenure. It's just a philosophy, though, man. If you talk to it, it was, it was really you know, like I had a couple conversations with him where I walked away and just didn't know uh, what I heard. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, one more thought on the uh, FSU uh, in the way to end the season? Yeah, man. I don't know where you guys were when we did the the, the preseason, but I I had this as a loss for Florida. Me too. Um, I, mean, I, I didn't. I didn't. You know, everyone's talking about how. The talent's even or FSU's bad. I mean, maybe the talent's even now, but maybe that's because they got coached up and developed. And now on the other side of things, FSU is lacking coaching and they're lacking development. Um, I think that's where the difference is. Um, I, I still think that going into the year, that's where things were. These two programs were not on the same playing field. But with Taggart going to FSU and with Mullen going to Florida, that's that's changed the balance of things. Um, and we'll see how that trickles onto the recruiting trail. But there's a clear you know, difference right there of, of the impact that Mullen's made with the Gators because, yes, they added guys like Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes who made a huge difference in that game. I mean, maybe Florida mm-hmm. doesn't beat FSU like that without those two. But nonetheless, I mean, just across the board, the improvement that's been made with individuals, just with all three phases of the game, it's, it's all there. But by beating FSU like that, the message that it sends, I mean, that was our – cover for Gator Bay Magazine was statement. Uh, you also beat LSU. You also romped Tennessee. Um, and now you got a chance to go out and beat Miami in the season opener. You've beat all of your rivals except Georgia. 
So, I mean, that's that, that's a pretty good way to come in in year one and, and kind of change the balance of things. The biggest thing it told me, and Silk, I know you, you've on Twitter and out there, this is your biggest point too, is just the biggest, the, the, the gap that's between Dan Mullen and Willie Taggart right now. And it was evident from the very first game of the season and even more so evident this last game of the season. All those penalties FSU had and the, the joke of 10 guys on the field and Chauncey Gardner, you know, kind of – he was making fun of him at the same time on the field there. He was, he, he was confused, but uh, looking for an 11th guy. But all those penalties, that those 10 guys on the on the field, I mean, it, it speaks – plus just not being able to be better from game one to game 12. FSU did not improve from the first game of the season to the last game of the season. Florida did. You know, there was a little low in the middle of the season, but Florida got better as the season went on. So what the, the thing that told me the 41 to 14, not only is there a gap or not only has the talent gap closed, but the coaching, the, the gap in coaching has in just one season been extended from Mullen to Tiger. Not only is the coaching is, is better. At, we have better coaching right now, but also they're going to have to fire some guys. They're going to have to shuffle some stuff up. In year one. In year one, like it's the first year. I mean, that, that's not gonna help on the recruiting trail. Um, there's no stability, so they they just they just dug a hole, and, and I appreciate it, man. Cause we was in that hole for a long time. But I said it. I didn't. I didn't see Willie Tiger beating Dan Mullen. I just thought, and I said it on the on the first show because I just thought Dan Mullen was a better in game coach. Uh, you're not gonna have no amateur come in and just beat Dan Mullen. He's on game plan. Uh, like when Miss, like the year he beat us when he was at Mississippi State and we still had Urban, he's going to find a way to hang around games and have a shot. It don't matter if he has less talent. So I just felt like at the end of the day, the, the guys we had transfer in was enough talent to beat Florida State. I didn't expect them to be very good this year. I just didn't, man. There's too much goofy stuff going on in the offseason for that to be a good fit on the field. All right, I think dance are, pretty good though. I, I mean, dance pretty that, good. those pregame dances are pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right, the, whole week, the whole week of the game, they still were talking like they were a good football team, and, and I like the way Mullen handled it in the press. I right, think Boston College win. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah they got hype. <laughs> Uh, guys, nine and three, of course. Uh, college football rankings come in, and the Gators are ninth, and that caught the ire of some national riders and uh, even some uh, amongst Gator Nation that the Gators don't deserve to be ranked that high. I kind of think that's a little ridiculous. You know, is this a top ten team uh, in in some different seasons out there? Maybe not, but the resume is quite compelling for twenty eighteen. Big wins over LSU, Mississippi State, losses being against rate teams: Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri. And I look at it like this: there's Alabama. Then there's there, there's a few teams behind them. And then after that, there's a lot of teams that, that, that are pretty equal out there, would give each other uh, a game. Florida's resume speaks for itself, and for the 2018, and for, and for the 2018 season, it speaks to a, a top-10 ranking right now. I, I definitely um, think we're a top-10 team. Um, I don't know anybody behind us that should be ahead of us. There's a Kentucky conversation, but, I mean, it's college football, what you've done, done for me lately. They lost to a terrible Tennessee team that's not going to make a bowl game. So I, I don't think they deserve to be ahead of us. We got we got better wins and decent losses. So I, I like where we're at. We're about yeah. nine. The conversation between LSU and Kentucky is certainly interesting. And, you know, I was talking to people earlier about how this was supposed to clear up all the things with the BCS Bowl and whatnot. But how can you argue, like you said, that anyone behind them should be ahead of them? I mean, it, it, no one has done well – you know, to the, to the perfect extent, really. I, I can remember a few years recently where I had two losses and was in a discussion to be 
you know, in the national championship game. That, that's what happens every single year. That's what happens when you're in the SEC. Um, and, and the point about Willie Taggart, you know, Florida fans know this better than anyone. If you're cheap, it's going to come back to bite you. And they were cheap when it came to hiring assistant coaches, and they've been cheap when it comes to renovating their facilities. And you're seeing that come back to bite them just four years after they won a national championship. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I will say that you know when you when you look at when you look at the rankings, I was watching a little bit of the selection show last night, and, and really after eight, you know, stuff starts to fall off to three lost teams, a couple two lost teams, and you know, it came to mind. We're looking at like obviously LSU after that loss to, to Texas A&M. Um, in a, in a big game on the road, it holds a little bit of weight. The fact that you know LSU has played some tough games. They played some tough home games. They played some tough away games. You know, playing at Florida, playing at A and M, a couple others. So, um, you know, I don't really. I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't know who else you put up in that top tier. I mean, you can mention you know Texas, uh, Kentucky. I, I I literally would say Texas would be a, a better conversation piece than Kentucky when it comes to a you know a three loss team. But in my opinion, you can't really throw anybody. You can't really throw anybody up there. I mean, Florida, what four and zero on the road this year? Um, when you lose yeah. it, you lose in Jacksonville. You lose two at home. One obviously unexpected in Missouri. You play a tough Kentucky team that had a pretty pretty damn good year. Um, can run the football a little bit more one dimensional. But when you talk about the Missouri game, you know it, with the struggles we had from Georgia to Missouri with starters and the DB, you know, on, on, on the back end being out of the game. And just what what we weren't able to accomplish um, is what is tough losses, unexpected. Like I said, Kentucky was a tight game till the very end. I mean, minus that last touchdown, that was kind of more of a, a fluke with what twenty seconds left on the clock or whatever it was. It is what it is. It wasn't a blowout loss. It was a you know a tough tough loss for a top twenty five team. You know, Kentucky ends up at what were they last night? Fifteen somewhere in the ballpark of 15, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you know you you beat an LSU, you beat a Mississippi State team that's more than capable on defense. You just got some significant road wins, and I really thought that that was probably the – when I was talking 9-10 wins early in the year, I thought really for us it was going to be Mississippi State, LSU, and Georgia were going to be those three p- potential losses. You know, when you look at 9-3, and three, I thought it would have been, if anything, those three. Uh, in turn, you turn around and you beat, you know, LSU, you beat Mississippi State on the road, you have a hell of a game in Knoxville, and then you lose to somebody, Kentucky and, and Missouri, but you close it out with Florida State on the road. So – some compelling, compelling victories there. And, and it is what it is. Like guys, you gotta, you gotta mind you, these guys are going to talk about anything, right? And a lot of these guys that aren't SEC homers don't like anybody from the SEC being in more or less four teams being in the top 10. They're going to have something to say about that. So I think a lot more of this is clickbait more than anything. Um, and it's to stir the conversation. Some of these guys don't like the new format. Well, I, I think part of it too is kind of what Tate was hitting at is, you know, you look at the games you expected Florida to maybe have trouble in and the games you didn't, and uh, you're, you're talking about two of those games they won and two of those games they lost where you didn't think they were going to lose. Um, so I think I think what you're seeing is kind of what Dan Mullen mentioned when he came in. You know, Florida's this program that's still kind of going up and down and has these big waves and these low troughs. Um, and that's really what Mullen's trying to get rid of to where you're seeing a more consistent performance on a week-to-week basis. And I think the biggest one that stands out when you talk about that and, you know, kind of how people from the outside maybe view Florida is that Missouri loss. You know, that's a that's a game you can you can write off the Kentucky loss and the Georgia loss. But Florida looked up, you know, showed up to that Missouri game, just didn't look ready to play. Uh, It looked very much like some of the things we saw under Jim McElwain in terms of just not being ready. And obviously, in hindsight, that loss looks a little bit better because Missouri obviously finished strong. Um, But those are the kind of ups and downs I think you have to kind of get rid of if you really want to 
you know, be parentally considered as a top 10 team. Now, obviously, there's a lot of teams out there that have similar resumes. I think you can make a great case for Florida being a top 10 team. But I think when people, you know, take issue with Florida being a top 10 team, that's why. It's because of the inconsistency. And obviously, that's something that Florida still needs to clean up. Yeah, like everybody was mentioning, um, the resume basically speaks for itself. You're going you're gonna to have the losses. We're not a complete team just yet. Um, you lose to Georgia. Um, that was just about expected. Basically, I think everybody had us that basically as a toss-up, really, coming into the season. Um, you beat LSU, um, which was – they were undefeated coming into that game. That one was going to be a tough one no matter what. Um, Missouri, for some reason, just has our number. Um, we've seen that the last couple of years. Uh, always struggle with Missouri. But um, beating Mississippi State at Mississippi State, um, that was probably the game that – that really show what this team could do, even though it was 13 to seven. I mean, that's not really uh, a dominant performance by any stretch of the imagination, but this team showed resiliency in that one. So we, we knew what they could do coming off that one. Um, but just like everybody else said, uh, it's not really many teams behind you that you can say, oh, well, their resume is just that much better to where they should be ahead of Florida right now. And the Kentucky argument, that one, um, everybody talks about, oh, they, well, they beat them by double digits. Yeah, the, the last second touchdown at the end of the game. Plus, you were missing C.C. Jefferson and, and David Reese. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. That one I, I don't really, really think about. The Missouri game, yeah, everybody can talk about that one. But when you look at it with the big wins over LSU and also Mississippi State, those two probably bring the resume up to where it is. And I think we, we've made a case to be a top-10 team with all the, the other teams behind us with just similar resumes. So I think we're in the right place right now. Yeah, and no, I think you guys have all echoed it. I, I think the biggest thing for me is I don't know who you put in front of Florida. Uh, you know, Texas has a bad loss to Maryland, and I know that that was the first game of the year, but they got absolutely trounced by a team that's not very good. Uh, you know, Washington's close by. They got beat pretty uh, handedly. I know the score wasn't uh, as as polar as it, as it could have been by Auburn. So, I mean, and the, the biggest thing for me is I don't know who you put in front of Florida. Is Florida a top 10 team? Yeah, I think so. Um, are they a top 10 team maybe two years ago? No, probably not. Uh, but this season is this season. And, and like, uh, like you said, Dave, at the beginning, you have, uh, you have Alabama, then you have your, your Clemson, your Oklahoma, um, your Georgia. Uh, and then after that, it's a, it's a big hodgepodge. I think that Florida could go, decently, you know, probably 500 or, or maybe just below 500 against the teams that are ranked, you know, six through 13. Uh, so I think that Florida is probably right about where they need to be or where they should be. Uh, so we'll see uh, over the next couple of, uh, couple of days and couple of weeks where they, where they end up after bowl season. But I think that they're slotted right about right. Texas is ranked ahead of West Virginia. They have the same amount of losses. West Virginia beat Texas. No one's talking about that. So why is it you know, not logo uh, different. The logo different, baby. I think a lot of that stems from that OU that OU game, though. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a game for the for the Big Ten or Big Twelve championship. Yeah. Right, well, I, I think it's also like a recency bias, right? Like they just they just lost, right? And that's that's the thing. Texas hasn't just lost recently, uh, so that's why you probably do it. And you know, a school like Texas, I mean, at the end of the day. A, a bowl ranking or a playoff ranking isn't just about who the best teams are. It's also about who's going to get the most eyeballs on TV, unfortunately. And Texas can get a hell of a lot more TV uh, eyeballs than uh, West Virginia is going to get. The conversation about Florida not being in the top 10 team is ridiculous. Um, I don't know why that got started. I don't know where it's coming from. It's not even about perception or what happened in the past. Look at the resume. 
They've played five teams in the top 25, and the teams that they've lost to, Kentucky is number 15, according to the College Football Playoff Committee, um, and then obviously losing to Georgia. And, oh, by the way, did you see where Missouri's ranked? They're in the top 25, and they've won four games in a row after beating Florida. So uh, when you look at that and, and the way that the Gators have played and who they've beaten, like I, I mentioned before, big wins over your rivals on the road against Tennessee, against Florida State. You get the signature win against LSU at home and then going on the road against Mississippi State. Um, I think they're right where they need to be. There's there's a couple other teams right there that are nine and three. You're not going to put a, a, a non-SEC team over two SEC teams, and Florida's going to get the nod over LSU because they got the head-to-head. So, I mean, there's really nothing to be talked about, I think. Well, you're also talking about this. This is stemming from a you know a Northwestern alum throwing out a tweet to the world. You know that's a little bit little bit bitter. The eight and four you know Northwestern Wildcats right now, who's going to a conference championship game that's got no hope of getting into a New Year's Six bowl. So, I mean, I say no hope. I guess they could if they win this game, but I mean, the chance of that happening are going to be fairly slim. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I think it's a little bit ridiculous that it's that it's getting some traction just due to, to of course, that's me being Florida biased, though, too. So I guess it's actually getting it, traction, though. Well, I mean, I say it's getting traction, we're talking about it. <laughs> I mean, all right, if it is, I just have I've been just trolling Florida State all week, so I probably missed all those tweets. No, 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 you keep doing that. I want you to enjoy about yeah, the I'm next focused. Three, three, there were some national writers that tweeted about, it, and there were people that called my radio show today talking about it. Hey, and, were, and I believe I, don't, I mean, I don't want to you know call him out or anything, but even Alligator Army had a tweet out there saying, No, there's no way Florida fans feel like they should be a top 10 team. See, and, that's, and, that's and, and, and a lot of Gator say. fans, you know, yeah. went back at him saying, point it's irrelevant about whether they really are a top 10 team or not it's about right. who deserves to be in the top 10 based on who, to played, who you've beaten yeah, and who you lost posing, to anyone posing the question who's on really a top 10 team top i mean that's ridiculous that's not the question it's it's whether they deserve to be in the top 10 right now based on their resume and who they beat and who you schedule and, and anyone who doesn't get that is missing the whole question yep. all right we'll move on to the next and it's kind, it's kind of been brought up but uh you know, everybody has a different perspective here, so it can be your biggest or your or your favorite uh, moment of the season here. And uh, you know, is it the trip to not to Knoxville in the first road win of the season and, and blowing out them, uh, or very next week going on the road and, and beating Mississippi State, returning home, uh, getting that uh, undefeated LSU team uh, and the swamp, bringing back the swamp to what it used to be, or you know, you had the season in the win against FSU. Uh, Silk, I probably think I know your favorite moment of the season. My favorite moment is when my man Felipe on that the start the opening drive of this Florida State game. We was on the up, we was on the up six points. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't no big lead. We felt like we should have been up more, but I was like, man, let's just blow these boys out. And the way Franks ran the ball and he got up and did that two times on that drive, I knew we was gonna blow them out. Said, shrug, shrug. He did he shrugged them. He did it twice on the same drive. I said, we about to blow these people out. I was, I was with a couple of friends. I said, we about to blow these people out. He, they, they, they confident. They feeling themselves, man. We, ain't, we haven't been that confident and, and felt that we haven't looked like that Gator team in a long time. And I just knew they knew they had them boys by the by the throat, and they we just handled business. So that was my favorite moment, man. Watching. Yeah. I, I mean, it'd be hard for me to sit here and, and pick and choose a couple <laughs> of favorite moments. I mean, I'd say that there's been a handful of them that that I've really caught my attention. I think the Tennessee game on the road, you know, being the first 
first bit of adversity in a road game that was a big matchup for us in a packed house was probably one of them, you know, showing up. I think the Mississippi State game, you, you know, with a with an exclamation point ending would be, you know, one that's up there. Obviously, LSU closing out at home and, and the swamp kind of feeling like the swamp again. And then really last weekend, I mean, I think the one thing we've been missing around here for a while is showing up against rivals in big games and actually being able to put a stamp on a game and finishing out. So, I'm with Silk, man. I, I think Felipe last week when he showed up and, and did that kind of got – not only got everybody else's attention watching on TV who probably actually saw it because um, most of us in the in the crowd probably didn't see it, but I think it got his teammates' attention, just his – the way he was handling and holding himself on the sideline, the way he was acting, his mentality was completely different, you know, than what we saw early in the year, the first four or five games. So his confidence level definitely rose up a little bit. No jump pass, huh? <laughs> no, you know what I was saying. <laughs> that fourth, that fourth down, I, I really thought Dan was going to pull it out of his back pocket. In the, in I thought a, we were going to see it. Formation. I did think we were going to see it. That, I but thought, when, he, when he went to the sideline after doing that struggle, you see Emery kind of doing it with him. Yeah, doing it to him. All that was just dope to me, man. The conversation, you know what it is, is like usually the first four or five games of the season when you, and I may mention this on the broadcast a couple of times, was the the, the one thing you notice is the coaches uh, coaching. Like when we were playing uh, Charleston Southern and it's 51 nothing, whatever it was, and there's coaches still pounding guys on the sideline and they're hammering them and Hevesy's screaming and Gonzalez is screaming at guys and trying to get them, they're coaching them up. And then it was just players listening. What I notice in the back half of the season is the players are actually responding to it. They're talking. It's not just like a you know a, they look like they're broken mentally because the coach is coming down on them. Guys are responding. They're talking through things. They're making adjustments. They're actually talking to coaches like, oh, he was in a three tech and he was in a nine. Here's what we saw. They're actually getting what what we're trying to trying to do. And that's when you really start to get dangerous when your players are, are you know. When your when your players can actually understand it, and systematic about it, and they're actually a student of the game, that's when everything starts to come together. And in the mental toughness aspect, and then everything else with development comes with it. You can be an absolute nightmare to defenses and offenses. And I think that's really where the receivers are starting to catch on because when they come off and Billy G's coaching them up, they're into it. And if you watch some of these behind the scenes videos, you know from Florida football on Twitter. You can hear Van Jefferson talking to Felipe Franks about what's going on with the defense, and then you see him come out the next drive and pop a big gain down the middle of the field or a touchdown. That's the kind of stuff that you look for, and I, and I love it, man. It actually turned a the corner there mid, midway through the year. Well, well, that's why I think the Mississippi State game in particular was so big for Florida because you're talking about that Kentucky loss, you know, two games in, and I think right there the season's kind of teetering. You know, obviously they did a good job coming out of Tennessee and winning that one. Um, but I think I think Florida players were able to see when they went on the road to Starkville, kind of exactly what Dan Mullen was trying to build. I mean, that that environment was extremely it was cool, man. Like even as a Florida writer, I've been to a lot of SEC stadiums um, and, and there was something a little bit different about that day. It was just a little bit extra. And you could clearly tell the work that Dan had put in to kind of build that program up. And for Florida to go in, you know, after all offseason here in Mississippi State fans say, oh, whatever, Dan's overrated, this and that. And uh, we'll be better with Joe Moorhead uh, to see Florida go in and win the way they did uh, with the game plan that, you know, Coach Mullen put in and then see the, the, the reaction from Mississippi State fans like, oh, man, we lost a good one. To me, I think that the players kind of felt that, you know, that, that they've got a coach that can really orchestrate a game plan that can really dial things in. And if they just listen to what he's saying and kind of take it to heart, that they can do some big things. And I think that kind of goes to what Tate was just talking about how the second half of the year you started to see them more interactive with the coaches 
more kind of uh, buying into that, so to speak, throughout the course of the games. And I think it made a huge difference. I, I think it all kind of started there at Mississippi State. I, I'd agree with that. I'd say to, to at least piggy on that, the first practice week of the season, I think I talked to Dan and I talked to Nick Savage, and I think the biggest thing that was a question mark around this team was how are they going to handle adversity and what's the mental toughness aspect going to look like once you get into the season after this offseason program and you start to see w- what that's done. So, I mean, 100%, I agree with that. I, I think once they got hit in the mouth at Mississippi State on the road, those guys got a little bit of confidence and they, they faced a little bit of adversity in two road games back-to-back, and that really started to you know build up a little bit. Uh, since Tate named every positive moment that the season had. <laughs> hey, wait, hold on. I got like five more. <laughs> uh, my best moment of the season was uh, hanging out with Tate on Broadway in Nashville. That the best moment of the season. Um, I think the lowest moment was probably that Kentucky. Pause, all of that. Y'all went to start Broadway together? Bro, we were hanging out. Yeah, we were with uh, – Broadway we, in Nashville, not well, – we, 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 we actually had the, uh, the unique – Is it Broadway in Nashville? We, we had yeah, the unique – It's the street in Nashville. We had the unique uh, pleasure of being with a paid writer that night. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I thought y'all was at a show or something, bro. No. What? It's a Gator Country expense account. Yeah. That's, hey, throw that hey, on the card. Big hey, Nick, you need more lights, bro? Wait, hold on, Nick. Give me a second. Oh, yeah. one string. You got one string, man. I can help you out. Lights outside, too. No, no, no. We got to <laughs> rewind this real quick. Says the guy who we can't, who we can't see right now. Rewind this real quick. Nick, <laughs> Nick, you got an expense account and I was buying drinks? <laughs> you offer? What am I saying, no? Come on, mama, don't raise no fool. Micah, as a fan, man, uh, what, do you, what do you think? What, what was the moment that led to this 9-3 and three season? Oh, man, it's so many things, but you know me as a as a Louisiana kid, I gotta go with my man uh, Brad Stewart with the pick six. Uh, the reason the reason being uh, that was something I, I knew was coming up. You could tell he you could see it uh, leading up to the game. He was he was ready for it. Um, but just knowing how that situation went with LSU, um, how they basically backdoored him, basically um, lowballing him with that late offer when he been trying to get that offer, been going to camps. I'm trying to do everything just to get into LSU, and they didn't want to take them. Um, so late in the season, they finally just throw out the offer, and it's not a committable one. Um, just knowing how that went down and knowing the passion that he had, he was ready for that game, and him getting that, that interception and running it back. And I'm sitting in that section, so, I mean, it's like it's crazy just watching him run through it. And then then you got uh, Vojo coming in late with the, uh, the punt to the stand. So it was, it was just crazy all the way around. Yeah, Dan. Before you jump in right there, you know it, it, you can really feel it there, just because Burrow was coming was coming into that game, no interceptions, and he was facing a, a Florida team and a, and a defensive line that was getting after him that game, and you, you you really could feel it that it was at any time now that first interception could happen, and and there it was. All right, Dan. Yeah, no, I was going to say uh, that, that's actually the, the the play that I was going to mention. But um, I think even on top of that, I, I think the one thing that I want to mention about the entire year is it just seemed like the team had a lot more fun this year. It looked like the guys were a lot more loose. It looked like they enjoyed being out there more. It just looked like they were enjoying the game of football, something that we've been missing for the last you know, probably seven, eight, nine years now. So, so that was, in in my opinion, one of the best things to see compared to the previous years. Um, and I think the one play that we're not talking about because unfortunately it was in a loss was the uh, the goal line stand against uh, Georgia. Uh, the the seven or eight plays in a row where they uh, were able to stop them on the one yard line. I know they ended up losing, but uh, to me that was a probably the best sequence of plays that we've seen Florida play all year. Uh, and then finally, it's just kind of the overall improvement. 
uh, of the team as a whole uh, throughout the year to see where they were at the beginning of the year to see where they're at now. Uh, I think it's pretty incredible. So, so to me there, there was a, a couple things, but you know, the fact that they look like they're having fun out there is a huge, uh, huge deal. Nothing, nothing spoke to the fun more than Chauncey Gardner Johnson holding that Seminole head up. That was the fans too. It's like he he just hopped up in the student section. Some fans. Yeah, like, that, was, that was that was up there as a moment. It was a little, a little disrespectful. I like disrespect. I was about to say you ain't got no problem with that. Oh, I have no problems with it. They get disrespectful with us. Hey, man, man they walk like, around with a gator head. Yeah, they get disrespectful, so I liked it. I liked the way Chauncey did it. I didn't like my man Willie Taggart trying to um, handcuff the, the, the 50-yard line in the logo. I want to talk about that because I love that. Plant that flag. But a lot of plant, people fans, a lot well, of I wish Chauncey. Like <laughs> feel like they're better than doing that. No, plant that. Plant, bro, Chauncey, Chauncey's declaring. Plant that, bitch. You're declaring. He 100% Plant. should have planted it. 100%. He should have planted it. You, you know FSU would have had the gator head, and if they were in Gainesville, you know that they would have taken a piece of the sod. The fact that Willie yeah. Taggart tried to play. Yo, you know, listen, those guys, those guys, those guys, it, it's just incredible. Those guys been at our house. I remember watching film from 2003 when I was a freshman before that game and re-watching game film the week before we played FSU, that whole fight in Gainesville, you know, Ben Troop's senior year. And – they got guys swinging helmets, hitting strength coaches that upside the head. Now, I think we had a strength coach got knocked out after that game, um, which is probably one of the best Florida Florida State games in the last you know twenty years. But they, that's just the kind of stuff that it makes me laugh because I'd like to give my opinion, but I'm not going to put it out publicly because <laughs> I got a heavy opinion on what I what I would have loved Don't to see Chauncey, what I would have loved to have seen Chauncey do. But uh, but you know what, man? I think I, one thing I will say is I think Dan handled it well. Uh, showed you know showed a little bit of class knowing it knowing yeah. that he's trying to shape it up a little bit and it wasn't just fan it was it was Scott Strickland too yeah and it, yeah, I mean, but but for for a coach to be taking a post game interview and mid interview before even answering the first question see that out of the corner of his eye say hey hey listen nah, nah not a good look you know like you know shut it down now mind you me as a player on the other hand I'm like nah. <laughs> go on. I just planted a flag. Go, yeah, go on, go on and do that. I would have loved to have seen him stiff arm Willie Taggart. What? <laughs> Put that thing in the ground and just walk. You no, know he wanted to. He's looking at him like, bro, I'm about to plant this bitch, man. <laughs> I appreciate the I appreciate the holding the scalp up, but I'll take that. Nice. The fun thing is, it was just kind of unexpected. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that was that was the best part about it. Uh, all right, Silk, you, you threw it in there just a second. Uh, so I don't think it'd be too hard for uh, the people to come up with on the fly. Offensive, defensive MVP. Um, I'm going to go the combo of the back, Scarlett and P. Ryan. I'm going to cheat a little bit. You know, eight games over 200 yards uh, rushing. Kind of shout out to the offensive line as well, but I'll start with those running backs there. On defense, I mean, self-explanatory. It, it's got to be Jacopolite. I come into the season, thought it would be C.C. Jefferson who could come in and, and be that you know, pass rush type of role that we saw you know, Todd Grantham do with Jarvis Jones back in at his time at Georgia. You know, be that be that type of rusher, be that type of uh, difference maker on defense. And lo and behold, we go, we went into the last couple of seasons thinking Jacopolite had all this athleticism, had this size and the speed. And this was the year he finally put it all together. So I think that, that was probably the, the, the key player. Uh, Todd Grantham come in, pinpointed, said that, that that's my next Jarvis Jones. That, that's the guy who's going to change games. Yeah, I like uh, Chris Henderson for defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's been solid from beginning to end, made some big plays on some chase downs. 
Uh, just lock this side of the field down. I think he quietly leads that defense on the back end, man, uh, at least by example. So I'm going to go uh, C.J. Henderson on defense. Offense, I mean, it's hard not to go with those running backs, man, as a committee. Uh, they took care of business all year. So I'm just going to go running backs as well. I'll go 25 and 22 for the offense, split it, and C.J. Henderson for defense. Yeah, man. I mean, I say offense, I, I got to give at least a split between the running backs and the offensive line. I mean, offensive line from last year to this year has, has made, you know, dramatic improvements, especially in pass protection. Um, the sacks that we've seen, in, in, you know, last year and year before, it, to turn that around and be able to give him a clean pocket, and Felipe does a, a heck of a lot better with a clean pocket, uh, give you a chance to win games. And it's evident. I mean, we were in every game we played, um, with exception really to the Missouri game. Um, going in the fourth quarter against Georgia, playing good against Kentucky there till the end. And, and you know, I think the run game really started to turn a corner after the Kentucky game, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, I think we kind of found – Dan Mullen kind of found which puzzle pieces he could put in certain situations that could get the job done, and, and his offensive line started to catch. So between that and the defense, I mean, I'll honestly give it to, uh, like you said, Ja'Kai Polite and Jabari Zuniga. I mean, between the two of them, those guys have been able to kind of force pressure – uh, in a lot of big time games and, and make the DB's life a little bit easier. I'm with Silk, you know, CJ, CJ's played quiet. He's a quiet assassin. I mean, he's not one of those guys that talks much. He doesn't really show too much emotion. He just shows up with a lunch pail and gets his job done. And, and, you know, I think Chauncey's come miles since last year, but if I had to give it to anybody on defense in, in particular, one single person, I'd say it'd have to be Ja'Kai Polite just because of what he does on the front front line. And what's the saying? If you're a DB and they're not saying your name, you're doing something right. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. I mean, you don't you don't hear you don't hear CJ Henderson's name to him. He gets the job done. He's not the biggest. He's not the biggest dude in the world, but man, he plays good technique and he and he he plays with what he's got. He's shutting down. So he's shutting down some 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 NFL talent on Saturdays. He's not just down some average receiver. Florida State thought they had something in, in that in that receiver to Marion Tate. They thought he was going to really. Do some lights out stuff, and I just ain't see it. I think CJ is just—he's a shutdown corner. I'll—I'll I'll say this next year. Next year, when you talk DBU, next year is going to be—be filthy. It, we've got what I think it's six, six or seven coming back. Really, yeah. when you take Chauncey out of the equation, and then with Chris, you know potential additions of you know Chris Steele and a couple of big time prospects that we're after. He right grew now. up though. I mean, let's not forget Dean for those those guys get on. Oh, no, dude, no, the hell Dean Trey Dean has played great, and he's one of those guys. If you talk to anybody on the coaching staff, man, he's going to be a player. Um, if for, you know, we've got a, a lot of young guys, freshmen, sophomores in the DBs and the linebacking core, even on the D line. Um, Jeremiah Moon should be one of those guys that can step in that Jakaipa Light role, you know, next year. Big, big build bodies, 6'6, you know, 240. Uh, we've got a lot of potential up front, but I think right now, interior D line and what we're recruiting at, you know, linebacker and DBs on the defensive side of the football makes me really excited to see what we can bring to the table next year. Yeah, I'm going to echo uh, with with Henderson. I, Henderson had to lock down an entire half of the field, especially with with Marco Wilson going out against Kentucky. You had C.J. McWilliams and Trey Dean playing most of that, and you know they were often sneaking another safety over there. So so C.J. Henderson was really cramping down on probably half the field, and and you barely heard his name. You heard his name on a couple interceptions, but but very rarely ever gave up the long ball. So so for me. As much as Ja'Kai Polite's season was, was incredible and Zuniga played well and the, the entire defensive line played pretty well, you have to give it to him only because you were able to then cheat over at least one safety to add that added protection for 
probably a cornerback that no offense probably shouldn't be starting at Florida and then a rookie in trade or a, probably a freshman in trade Dean uh, for the offensive MVP. I put, uh, put the offensive line as a whole. Uh, and the biggest reason is because there's a few things here uh, that the offensive line did that I think sprung a few things. So, uh, you know, I wrote the other day that Florida climbed from last year being ranked 123rd in sacks allowed to just 20th allowed uh, this season. And they were the best team in the country for fewest sacks allowed on passing downs, which is huge. Felipe Frank's sack rate went from 11.2% of dropback plays to just 39 Um, Their offensive efficiency went up from 113th to 15th from last year to this year. And then to me, this is the biggest one between the top three running backs, uh, Pierce, Scarlett and Pirine. They only got sacked behind the line of scrimmage the entire season for minus 24 yards. To me, that relies so much. And they only got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Gosh, I think it was only a couple percent in the entire year. So to sustain that the entire year, especially considering where they were last year and how much of a liability they thought they would be going into this year, I have to give them the MVP. Damn, documents, baby. And the good thing about that is the yards after contact for all three backs is, is, you know, is what it is. When you watch them run, there's, it doesn't fall off from one to the other. I mean, Scarlett runs hard. P. Ryan runs hard. Pierce gets, he gets hit and bounces. All of those guys do a good job of not going down on one hit. I mean, it, it takes five, six yards to get them down most of the time. Yeah, I think that was something that started with um, maybe Tim Skipper and Juwan Sider. just keeping your feet moving when you're running back. And, and as soon as your feet stop, you're, you're, you're done. You're not, you're not breaking tackles. You're not getting those extra yards. Um, I got nothing groundbreaking here. I think CJ Henderson is probably my defensive MVP, especially when Marco goes down. Uh, you know, they're obviously going to test some other people, but that's when you can get caught slipping. When when they don't throw your way for two weeks uh, and then finally take a shot, I, I really don't think there were many times that he got beat. Um, and I think that DB group next year is going to be going to be great. And then uh, for me, both running backs, P. Ryan and Scarlett, and, and I think they got better after Malik Davis's injury when it, when it wasn't splitting really carries between three guys because it takes them a little while to kind of get into the flow and, and get their vision scarlet, especially not having played for over a year. Um, when it was just the two of them, I mean, you throw Pearson in the fourth quarter, but when it was just the two of them feeding off each other. I, I thought that's when they really started to, to you know excel and thrive. Yeah, yeah, obviously share the same sentiments as a lot of you guys. Uh, you know, with Jakai Polite, he's been so dominant. He'll probably be a first-round pick. But, uh, you know, there were games this season where he didn't really have the impact that he, you know, showed at times, where CJ was the same every Saturday. Uh, you know, he, he was locking guys down no matter what. Um, you, you never saw him giving anything up. Where there were times when Polite kind of disappeared. Not a lot. Um, but there were other times where he wasn't, you know, getting three sacks, two and a half sacks a game. So um, because of the consistency with CJ, um, I'd go with him. But just to, to mix it up and name somebody else different, I think you got to mention David Reese. Uh, yeah. I think Florida wins that game or at least is more competitive in the game against Kentucky. If he's playing, we saw how much of a difference David made for Voshan Joseph when he, he got back from playing. He was the quarterback of that defense. He might not be – um, as a lead of a player, as a polite or a C.J. Henderson. But in terms of an MVP role, he certainly had as much of an impact as, as, as anyone else. Uh, I would go with the running backs, too. Um, to, to pick one, though, I, I would say P. Ryan. I, I think of the two, he was he was the more MVP performance. I think he just was was so key for Florida at times and, and what he was able to do and just more a little bit more reliable. Um, 
but uh, I can name anybody else but the running backs. They don't do it without the offensive line. Uh, I'm, I'm with Dan, some of those numbers that he threw out. I don't think John Hebesey, um gets enough credit. He's not one of Florida's ace recruiters, so he always gets dog for that. Um, but there's a reason why he's on this staff, and the, and the, and the way that the offensive line playing is that reason. Hey, I will touch on the David Reese thing, man. If you take about eight, nine plays out of this season for Voshan Joseph, he'd be right up there in the top of the conversation, minus a couple of pass break, you know, pass play breakdowns, uh, in particular South Carolina touchdowns, Georgia, like four plays to the tight end, the Vanderbilt game just for, for you know, dumb decisions. But uh, I think Voshan and David Reese played, you know, from a linebacking standpoint, a they play downhill, they play fast, and, and Voshan plays better when David Reese is on the field. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Tate. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you guys have hit on pretty much everything. Offensive MVP for me is Dan Mullen. Uh, I don't really need to say anything more than that. I mean, I think that's pretty self-evident. Uh, on defense, I think, you know, we talked about a lot of guys named C.J. Henderson. I just think you look at what happened in the Georgia game when he went down. Uh, we're not sitting here with Florida as a top-10 team poised to go to a New Year's Six Bowl if that injury had been more serious and he's out for the rest of the year. So to me, he's, he was as key a guy on defense as anybody else you could ask for. Mike, I'll let you jump in right here. And nothing speaks to more about CJ Henderson. Guys, remember that game against Tennessee and Tennessee had that yeah. long, that deep play. And then CJ Henderson catches up and makes the guy fumble and touch back there. And also look, I know South Carolina ended up scoring on the drive, but also, um, Chase, chasing down Debo. Yeah, chasing down Debo. So, I mean, yeah, uh, maybe I, may, I might have overlooked him instead of going with Polite. But, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good seeing uh, plays like that from C.J. Henderson, Micah. I would yeah, go like too. Sorry, Micah, real quick. But like Zach said, there was just games where it was just like in, in, middle, in like middle of the season when you're going through the tough part of your schedule, games where he's just kind of like, where is he? Yeah. Uh, also, poor polite. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, also, with polite, bro. Like he don't set. He didn't set. The, he missed a lot yeah. of the set edge. He gave up some big runs, pass rushing, a lot of downs that he shouldn't have been. So he had a good year, and a lot of his stats are like the flashy stats, the strip sacks, and just causing turnovers and whatnot. But he gave up some some big plays in the run game, not being disciplined here and there. I just think number five was consistent. From, from one, the first snap to the last snap, he brought his lunch pill and handled business. Yeah, like like everybody said about uh, CJ, he was going to be my defensive MVP just because he was able to stay healthy, basically. you I mean, you lose CJ, and then uh, what, what does your defensive secondary look like now? So him staying healthy, being out on the field, um, locking down basically the whole half of his side. Um, and then those plays that we mentioned against Tennessee, against South Carolina, the chase downs, he, he just looks like he's gliding out there. Like, he's not even running full speed. He can be faster. But that's that's the crazy thing with him. Uh, I, I just want to jump in. I just want to jump in on CJ just while we're on him. It's just amazing to me. We got on this with, with Joe Hayden hearing from Dan Mullen. Like, there were college coaches who did not think that CJ Henderson could play cornerback in college. Yeah. And everyone's sitting here talking about him being the MVP. You heard Dan Mullen say that Florida's defensive staff – passed on Joe Hayden, passed on him, first-round pick. So it just goes to show you how, like, man, hit, recruiting can be so hit or miss, um, even when you're dealing with elite talent. C.J. Henderson was supposed to be a punt returner. <laughs> that's, that's all anybody I mean, thought you, when, they, when they got him, that he would be a punt returner and maybe at best cornerback. I mean, if you don't really follow him and, and not going to all these camps and stuff, he was raw. 
He started playing corner a little late, but the speed was there. When somebody could run that fast, as fast as he got, he got real track speed. He can run. He's probably the fastest kid on the team. And he was working out with Chad Wilson and the, and the, and the, um, the Wilson boys. Like he's got the work ethic, and he was putting in work. I thought he was going to be a good corner. I mean, there was some people out there. I mean, I mean Todd, Todd Grantham called him the best cornerback he's coached. He's real. Yeah. He's live like that. Oh, uh, and I'll tell you yeah, this, he, that, that just stems. and Marco Wilson's on the team, by the way. Yeah, Marco, <laughs> Marco ain't no slouch. But that just stems back to to player development, being able to evaluate talent. When you look at certain coaches that that just have a knack for evaluating talent, when they turn on a film and they look at guys, and and even if they're playing a different position, I mean, when you go back, when you go back and you're talking Joe Hayden and certain players like that, I think of Cornelius Ingram. Cornelius Ingram was a quarterback. Gavin Dickey, Gavin Dickey was a backup, you know, third string quarterback. When you start looking at guys like that and where you could possibly plug and play them to your advantage, knowing they're never going to play quarterback or they're never going to play receiver. Reggie Lewis was another one that turned out to be a great DB, you know, back in those 06 days. Jordan Reed. Started, starting cornerback on the 06 National Championship team that was playing wide receiver when I came to Florida. And nothing against Reggie. He's an he's a athlete. He was a terrible receiver. Um, for coaches that were able to evaluate that talent and say, man, we need to put him on the defensive side of football or be able to shuffle guys around. That's where you get into good coaches versus, you know, that's where the coaches start separating itself. Um, but but I agree with you, man. The fact that anybody couldn't think that C.J. Henderson had the talent to play defense in the SEC is probably looking at it now, kicking themselves in the ass because that's a, that's a, you know, it's a bad, bad mark. Yeah, Mike, and he, just and he looking, got at, offense. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. looking at, before I get to my offense, looking at C.J. right now, he's still not, a complete cornerback yet. You watch yeah. him out there. He's, he's still wrong. playing like he's he's still learning the position. So once, so he, once, he, up, once he gets this down with his type of speed and his change of ability, it's, it's going to be crazy to watch him play the cornerback position. But, Micah, uh, could, could you not say that almost about across the board, right, offense and defense right now? You could almost go and cherry pick every position and the ceiling is still here and we're playing good ball and it's still right here. I mean, it's yeah, gone. It's that. gone up throughout the year, but the ceiling for every single position, every single position group right now is through the roof. When you look at Florida and where we're trending and where we're going with good coaching, good development, the offseason, it it really gives you a hell of a lot better outlook for next year than we've had in the last five years. Yeah, and that's the that's the crazy thing. You're talking about the offensive MVP. I'm actually going to just go out on a limb and say Felipe, who who saw him going from nine touchdowns, eight interceptions to 29 total touchdowns and six picks. Like, nobody really could say they saw that coming from him. We knew it was going to improve with Dan being his coach. But just going from getting a chance to almost get 30 touchdowns in, in one year after just going for nine last year. And also got to give a shout-out to uh, Nick Buchanan coming in at the center position, uh, st- yeah. getting some stability on the offensive line. Um, he came in and he did a great job. Also on the defensive line, my, my grad transfer, who I, who I lied before, uh, Adam Schuler. Uh, I told everybody before the season he was going to be a good pickup, and he he really did a good job. And we may just have another year of him. So hey, if if we can get the play that he had this year, get it get it a little bit better, that's that's going to be a crazy defensive line again next year. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you absolutely. Uh, Felipe Franks and and Dan Mullen uh, probably should share offensive MVP duties because you know without Dan Mullen that offense is not successful at all, and without Felipe Franks, you know I was never of the belief that Kyle Trask. Uh, was ready to run that offense. I mean, there's, you know, we, you talked about Silk, you talked about Felipe Franks being able to be a, um, a willing runner, and, and we've never seen that from Kyle Trask. And I don't think he could have done that 
against any team all year, and that was a very vital part of Dan Mullen's offenses. I mean, who, how many times did you guys see the graphic that was talking about, you know, Fitzgerald and Tebow and, and now Felipe Franks having 35 rushing touchdowns and touchdowns, whatever it is. You know, that is absolutely a credit to Dan Mullen, and without a quarterback who can do that, they're not going to be successful. And there were huge question marks all year about Felipe Franks' progression, whether he could be there. And, I mean, I saw all you guys trolling online during the game saying, if you had told me last year that Francois would be having a worse game than Felipe Franks, I don't think a lot of people would have believed it. It was not evident. That was not in the cards. Uh, you have to give all the credit to them, to, you know, obviously Nick Savage, but definitely Dan Mullen. And then Felipe Franks definitely deserves a lot of credit that I don't think a lot of people want to give him or are hesitant to give him. I, I, think so used to critique, I think we're so used to critiquing the quarterback position the last four years at the University of Florida that it, it's just been, especially since last year, you know, you look at Felipe Franks, a lot of Gator fans looked at him as a four and seven starter. And it, it's taken a while for people to get used to where he's progressed to right now. And is it Dan Mullen? Is it Felipe Franks? I think it's a mix of both. But I mean, I'll tell you what, though, he's answered the bell. I mean, he's put you in positions to win games. He's won nine with a potential really 10. Um, you know, 10, 11, uh, for that matter. So I, I think Gator fans got to get past that complex of, you know, your quarterback has to be a, a, a Tua Tonga-Vailoa. You know, I think most people in college football right now are so caught up on the three unbelievable quarterbacks in college football and wanting one so bad without realizing that we can win games right now with, with what we have. It's a matter of a lot of other things coming together. Oh, I mentioned it last episode, but I think we can make money selling the uh, private chat going on here. So, uh, but I'll I'll leave it at that here. So uh, we'll move on. Toughest to replace? It could be player because uh, I'm going I'm going with a unit, and I'm going to go this offensive line. Uh, it's probably kind of explanatory here, but you lose Ivy, Jordan Johnson, possibly Taylor. Uh, so now you, you you're looking at guys like Stone Forsyth, Richard Garage, Chris Blake, uh, Noah Banks, Gene Delance uh, to come in take over for those guys. Uh, now while now while those leaving did have experience uh you know they didn't have experience in dan mullins and john hevesy's offense coming into this year and, and the offensive line came along nicely as the season went on uh and wasn't a detriment to the team like in years past so i do have some hope that these guys can be coached up there isn't because there is a ton of inexperience there but they do have experience you know there'll be two years now in this uh john hevesy offensive line coaching yeah i like i like um the old line to be okay i, like, I think hevesy just just gets those guys going, bro. I just think he he's gonna do well with that that group, man. And nobody, I didn't expect them guys to be this good. They were solid, bro. Like I have no complaints. I think the hardest to replace for me, um, just from a pass rushing standpoint, because we we haven't had seen a, a whole lot of uh, pass rushing outside of two guys. So I'm gonna say Jacob White uh, is gonna be hard to replace. But I do like uh, Zach Carter. I like when he came in for the state game. I, I think he showed some good get off. And I think he's going to be a player next year. I think he's going to jump on the scene in the spring, and then the fall is going to be his coming out party, bro. So I think Jakai's going to be hard to put or, or replace from a number standpoint. He put up some crazy numbers this year, bro. But I, I like 17 to fill that gap a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned it earlier, Jeremiah Moon. I mean, like you said, Zachary Carter's another one. Those guys that are young guys coming up, well, there's so much potential right now with some of these freshman, sophomores that are coming into roles next year. Um, with another developmental process coming up in the in the winter and fall workouts, um, I think for me, one you're going to have a hard time replacing you know Chauncey. I think to a to a certain extent, but 
most of that is going to be what happens between now and next season in terms of leadership. You know, Chauncey was one of those guys that everybody really looked to, to, you know, get a little bit of juice going. And he was one of those guys who'd been around for a while. For me, I think the hardest thing is going to be to replace is, is really, you can only name a few. We're, we're so young. We've still got a lot of guys that are coming back next year. So Ja'Kai, you know, by default is going to be one of those guys that, that obviously put up big numbers for us. Um, he'd probably be the easiest to list, I think, you know, with, with Martez Ivy or, or uh, Jawan Taylor. I think Jawan, that, that's another one that's going to be a hard, hard replacement. But we've got young guys that, that I trust John Havis is going to be able to put, you know, put in successful situations and develop them the right way. So, you know, between those two, I've got to name one offense, one defense and, and go from there. Uh, who yeah. yeah, yeah, I think um, you still talked about it. The um, the pass rush, yeah, it's going to be tough to replace, but we got some guys um, who can step in and, and take on that, that bigger role. Mentioned Moon, mentioned Zachary Carter. Um, those guys can step up. We've got some potential on that D line. Um, re- possibly having to replace the two tackles would probably be the toughest thing we would have to do. Um, Ivy, uh, he struggled at times, but he, he did a pretty good job this year. Taylor. Um, losing him early would, would really put us in a tough spot because we have some guys that haven't really stepped in and played up uh, to that level of competition that they're going to see uh, starting week one next year. So uh, replacing the two tackles may be the toughest thing, but the defensive line, we're going to be able to replace some guys. We had a lot of guys rotate in and play some some decent snaps. So looking forward to that, just the O-line, getting them together, that's probably going to be the toughest thing. Yeah, I'm going to hop in here real quick. I think the offensive line is, is really going to be uh... – you know, a lot to replace. I think Jawan and you know, it is definitely going to leave as well. And then, you know, you're, you're replacing Tyler Jordan, who had started at every position in the offensive line. And, and who knows how good Nick Buchanan can actually end up being. Uh, a lot of unknowns there. And, and John Hevesy has not proven that he can go out there and get offensive line going to be ready to play in within one year. And who knows how good those guys, Chris Blight, Griffin McDowell, can end up being. So that is a big unknown for sure, especially if they are going with uh, a redshirt freshman quarterback next year. That is a big thing. You know, it's a very inexperienced offensive line, and that was one of the big reasons Felipe Franks was a lot better this season was because the offensive line was very good uh, or, or, or gradually improved, so to speak. Um, and and who knows how good they're going to be next year. It's, it's one of those things that you look at both sides of the line for Florida, I don't see an immediate fix on the roster, and, and that's a big concern. Well, I'll, I'll kind of echo what I think Tate said. Is that I'm not sure that there's any guy you really pinpoint and say he's completely irreplaceable. You know, obviously the guys we talked about, Juwan Taylor, Ja'Kai Blight, those are tough guys to replace. Um, I'll, I'll actually go, I think if both running backs were to leave, um, and I'm not sure that they both do, but if both Scarlett and Piran leave, I think what you lose is a lot of the guy, you know, a lot. they did so many of the little things right uh, that fans maybe, maybe overlook a little bit. I'm the biggest Damian Pierce guy out there. I've been banging that drum since, you know, spring practice. Um, but I think, you know, what, what Jordan Scarlett and LaMichael Pirine did, both in pass protection and being able to catch out of the backfield, probably a little bit underrated. If both of those guys were to leave, I think uh, you'd have a little bit of concern. Um, yeah. I, I don't think Pirine leaves. I think he'll, he'd stay. Um, he's got a, a mom that I know that uh, will be on his butt about getting a degree. Um, I, I think Jordan Scarlett leaves. I, I'm going to go back with both offensive and defensive lines because you guys say Jeremiah Moon, and, and I did like what I saw from Zach Carter. That was very limited this year, but it's still just question marks. And then you're talking about potential. And, okay, those guys have potential to fill in. 
And uh, even though I talked about Ja'Kai disappearing at times, I mean, he still had 16, 16 and a half tackles for loss, the strip sack, stuff like that. Uh, and then the offensive line, if you're losing offensive, both offensive tackles, you're losing Tyler Jordan. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to replace there. And, and again, just talking about potential with the young guys that are filling in. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a tough question because I think a lot of the places that Florida is losing people, I think that they're okay with, um, I would say for me, Tyler Jordan is a, uh, is a guy that, that's going to be missed, and I think it's because he was versatile and could play a number of positions for Florida, especially when Florida was getting into a bind. I think that he was you know, one of Florida's better offensive linemen this season, and so having the ability to play you know, guard or center uh, for Jordan is, uh, is something that Florida's going to miss. But you know, I think overall, you know, Florida has some pretty good pass rushers. They have some pretty good guys that they're starting to develop on the offensive line. They've got some pretty good running backs. I, you know, and, and I know we're losing Siante Lewis at the tight end position. And I think Florida's got some real depth there for the first time in a while. So I'm not sure that there's any huge glaring holes that if somebody leaves Florida's in a, in a massive bind with. Yeah, I found it right here. We were talking behind the scenes here. Todd McShay is the one who had Jawan Taylor as a top 10, top 10 in the draft pick. No he had, way. It, had him checked in as number 10 and the number two offensive lineman behind old Mrs. Greg Little. I don't think uh, him or Mel Kiper actually watched college football. <laughs> I think he had. I think he had. Luke, I think he had Lucius Purifoy at like first round as well. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, the boys went undrafted, man. I think those. That, guys, was, that was before. You gotta get a scout grade. <laughs> Yeah, but you gotta get a scout grade. I mean, you can't listen to these commentators, bro. I don't think that's a real. Well, I'm just saying that's that's where the talk comes from. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. where it blew up. That's where it blew up. That's. I've been trolling Florida State all week, so I haven't been really. <laughs> Uh, everybody get in on that one? No, I, I'll have mine. I mean, yeah. I, I'm with Thomas. I, I got to go both running backs, and I think they're I think they're both going to go. I mean, I, I, think think go? I, think, I think Jawan Taylor's leaving, and those two guys are going to look at their four starting offensive linemen going. And, you know, they're, they're looking at coming back for their senior year to approve their draft stock behind what offensive line. I, I just – I think both of those guys are going to go – um, you know, Florida will get the backs in there to fill that void, but they will be missed, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, on the defensive side, uh, I'll, I'll probably go Chauncey Gardner. Um, I think that they'll find the DB to fill him in, but, but you know, of all the guys leaving, I like uh, Jeremiah Moon being able to step in there with some of the other guys that they have um, at, at that buck position and stand out. Who's going to play and step up at nickel? I'm not so sure. I think it'll probably be Amari Bernie, but I'm not – don't know if he'll grow into a safety with another year with Nick Savage and, and how his body will develop. Um, but again, they'll get the guys to figure it out. But Chauncey was just so solid this year um, and, and, and was really a leader for that defense. So he's going to be missed. I, do. I, don't I, gotta, think, I think I, the reason I think Chauncey's position is elite, a little easier. He's not in coverage a ton. You, you know what I'm saying? I think that position is. Is is left to do a lot of freelance, and you want to have that. I, I, I'm not even talking so much about on on field, though. I just mean everything that he brought to the table gotcha. um, on the sideline. Just, I mean, he, he listen, man. He he was the the leader of those guys, and not just in the secondary. Um, as far as how they dealt with the media, how they dealt with fans, how they dealt with students on campus, like he, I don't know, he he really was a leader, at least from my eyes and my standpoint. Um, and so you're going to miss him from, from that standpoint, along with what he did on the field too. Um, <laughs> you don't just, you don't just get lionhearted guys as he likes to call himself. You don't just get guys like that and plug them in. So 
Uh, I think he's going to be missed. Yeah, I got to say. Who's going to let uh, FSU know they only got 10 guys on the field? Yeah, right. There you go. That's exactly I mean, right. Well, that's a, the, way I, the way I saw it, though, when I was, when I was I mentioning really, that earlier, Zach, was <laughs> I think you're exactly right. He is one of those guys that's got the juice, especially brings it for that defense. He brings it for the team. Uh, I think he is going to be missed. You're going to have to find somebody that can step up like that. But, you know, between now and next year, you're going to find a little bit more leadership than what we've seen out of Florida's team as a whole, just due to the nature of the culture change that's going on right now. Um, I, I would say that you guys have to realize, and, and what Gator fans have to realize is, as much as we talk about potential and this and that, we're also looking at hindsight from the development we've seen in the last three, four, five years under different coaching staffs, and that year-to-year -year development hasn't quite been there. So when we talk about running backs leaving, I personally don't think P. Ryan and Scarlett will leave. I think neither one will leave or one of them out of the two will leave. And if I had to guess, I would say P. Ryan and Scarlett would stay just because of missing last year. Um, but I don't think you can really carry the stats to the league right now and I don't say they, they don't wow you off the page, but you turn the film on, both those guys can play football um, really well. Scarlett's Scarlet just going to do tests so well at the combine. No, bro. I understand, but but a guy like Scarlett's not going to – so a, a guy like Scarlett, unless he gets hurt next next season, is still going to test really well at the combine. And if anything, he's going to test better yeah, next year than this year. He's, he's been playing – Running back Tate, you got to get to that check, baby. No, I, I understand. He's I understand. got a lot of miles on those but legs. Gonna, but my thing is, are you going to carry – you know, one, he's had an injury, so that already that already looks, you know, against him for the job. My thing is, are you going to carry the stats that he's got this year just in, in terms of yardage and whatnot? Are you going to carry that into the league, or are you going to, you know, it's that decision. you got to look you at it for a second, what he's thinking. You're going you're gonna to go to grad school? I would. If I was him, you could stay healthy for another year, and, and knowing what you're going to be able to accomplish in year two under Dan Mullen, if I'm him, it depends on what you want as a player. Like, I if I was him, I want that check. Yeah. I got to get that check, baby. Yeah, you can drink the Kool-Aid you can, I you can check, drink the and go for the championship, or you can you go get that check. Fo -fo. Let me tell you, check. Again, I, I, again, I go back to the offensive line. I think that they're going to look at four guys leaving, um, and that's going to factor into their decision. It wouldn't mind. Scarlett's going to run that 4-4. Four -four. He's going to bench. 225, 47 times. I love STA. It's also going to depend on what he does in that last game, too. So, I mean, it, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to be discussed probably after this season's over with. But, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, that check only gets you so far in life. And as everybody knows, you know, the NFL is only a two-year two two-year life, life cycle. Yeah, he'd be able to afford to pay for that one year of college. <laughs> Better take advantage of it. Then. I can tell you, I know. if he's studying sociology or health sciences, then you might want to go get that check. Uh, Tate just brought up the last game of the season, bowl game. Of course, that's what it is. So thoughts and opponents, uh, maybe what we got headed here for the Gators. Uh, hey, we pretty much know who UF could play right now, UCF or, or Michigan in the Peach Bowl. Maybe even a Boise State matchup in the Fiesta Bowl. And, man, talk about a whole lot of orange and blue in the stadium. Uh, there's an outside shot of the Sugar Bowl if Georgia upsets Alabama. So uh, most likely scenario for you guys and the matchup you want to see. Um, I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be Florida-Central Florida. I think Central Florida gets it done against Memphis this week, even with the backup quarterback. And I think uh, just to kind of appease a crowd out there, uh, I think there will be a Florida-Central Florida matchup in Atlanta. Well, I'll go first. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the uh, the criteria for the selection committee they like to. Uh, one of the things they look at is not putting a team in the same bowl it's been in recently. And so I think UCF is actually going to head out with a Fiesta. And I think yeah, that's, that's gonna, a good point. 
I think that's going to preclude Florida from going there. So I think Florida's probably in the peach. Uh, and with Ohio State still being ahead of Oklahoma, assuming there are no upsets, I think Michigan's a pretty good bet, uh, potentially. Uh, as I it, am so tired of playing Michigan. I'm tired. Well, and I, I, I hear that sentiment a lot. I think if you're, if you're you know, looking at what Dan Mullen's done, he's changed a lot of things already. He's beat Florida State, ended that streak. Uh, why not be the first coach at Florida to beat Michigan, right? I just don't want to play the Michigan, bro. Can they can they can they play the baby shark song? <laughs> give me give me UCF, bro. I want UCF. I want to smack them people around, bro. They gotta figure this out. We gotta get UCF some. Uh, the main argument from fans that you don't want to play UCF is that it's like a it's there's a no win situation. If you win, you're yeah. supposed to well, there's a win situation. There is a win situation. I, I, th- I think for the first time there is a win situation. I would love that. <laughs> UCF and Miami in three straight games. So yeah. get get some state championship shirts, you know, made up. I, I I disagree, Nick, with your idea that it's a no win situation. I think that UCF over the last two years has been able to establish some relevancy nationwide that yeah florida the reigning loses. national champions dan put some respect on my i, I cannot wait no, for florida to play in the peach bowl and win to be able to use that graphic um but <laughs> no i i think that i think that ucf has a different perception now than they would have last year they're ranked you know what number eight in the college football playoff right now so i think beating them does establish you know some additional credibility especially out of a team that was four and seven last year. And, you know, UCF has had a little bit more relevance recently than, than Florida even has when you think of just the last few years. So I, I think that there is a win case scenario for Florida. Florida does play. I think even if they lose, it's still not considered as bad of a loss as it was a few years ago. You're not losing to UCF. But we're not going to – I don't think Florida loses. I think that Florida could beat UCF with Mackenzie Milton, and I definitely think that they could beat him without him. Yeah, I think it's the most to gain from a bowl game. And do they gain a lot from playing Oklahoma? No. Do they gain a lot from playing, you know, UCF? Yeah. I mean, because if, if it's if it's a Peach Bowl, absolutely. If it's a Fiesta Bowl, no way. But if it's a Peach Bowl, you shut up all these UCF fans that thought that they're going to break FSU's 29-game winning streak. And, again, like you said, Nick, you know, FSU, UCF, Miami in a three-game stretch is – unprecedented and i think that if you have that opportunity ahead of you i think that dan mullen will absolutely pull out all the stops and 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 win that game i mean look what happened to miami this year the fact that florida is going to be the road game in that game going into orlando if they're coming off a win against ucf that cemented a 10-win season and 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 miami's what seven and five what eight and four maybe seven and six yeah seven and six that is absolutely (laughs) Uh, a coup for Dan Mullen. If we were sitting here talking last year that they could assert themselves as a better team over UCF, FSU, and Miami in one season, I don't think anyone would have believed it. I mean, I'll say this. Like, uh, you know, I, don't, I don't think any Gator fan really wants to see Fiesta. You know, I think in a best-case scenario, obviously, the Peach, Peach Bowl would be, you know, Atlanta's a great travel destination for most Gator fans. It's a place that people will go. We'll get a lot of travel out of that. I think the only other good option for us would be New Orleans, which is a very, very, you know, long shot at this point, unless something significant goes down in, in the uh, Georgia-Alabama game. But that, that'd be, I think, a good thing for us. I mean, you know, we play defense, and we probably face a team that, that you know, plays offense but doesn't play defense as well. Um, it'd be a good test, good rubber. That would really close out the year on a, on a high note to be in the Sugar Bowl. But 
like I said, that's a very unlikely scenario unless something really goes down this weekend on Saturday at four o'clock. Micah, who you want to see? Uh, who I want to see? Uh, <clears throat> I really don't want to see Michigan again. I, I, I know a lot of people talk about that. I don't want to play that team again. Uh, uh, I don't want to see UCF at this point, not because I think we will lose or anything. I think we're going to beat them even with Milton playing. I don't want to play them because he's not playing. I, I wanted their best player to be there so we could beat them and in that whole conversation about all of that. Um, at this point, it, it really wouldn't matter to me who we play. Um, it's not really many real intriguing options. Um, but one, one team that nobody's talking about, uh, I would like to play. I wish we could play them. It's Penn State. Um, James Franklin, um, Trace McSorley, I would like to play them. No, it's probably not going to happen. Um, but even if, even if it was to happen, I would like to play them. Uh, also in uh, Fiesta Bowl, even if we would get uh, Boise or Fresno, whoever would win that one, that would, I'd, I wouldn't mind playing that one either. It's a weird matchup. All right, let me hop, let me hop in here because I got to the uh, to the newborn. Uh, but I, I'm I'm with uh, you know a lot of you guys. I think they're going to end up in the people. Uh, I think as much as Florida fans. AOL internet. <laughs> you, you, gotta get, you gotta get a, a regular house in like regular communities, bro. You can't be out there with the horses and, and cows and farms. <laughs> All that, all that real estate, bro. They can't get Wi-Fi out there. Sound like J five, bro. Hey, the last one, County Cox Communications. <laughs> Short circuit. I think he's back a little bit now. Okay. Oh. No. Yeah. Florida. Oh, it's going in now. Okay. Uh, it looks like he's in an airplane laboratory, man. <laughs> I think we're uh, all pretty much done here with our thoughts. I did have one. So, Tate, if you have a – you were around the team a lot closer than everybody else is. You know, we're, we're there, press box, and media room after the fact. Uh, if there is a story that you're comfortable sharing or can share about this team that maybe kind of speaks to the team or maybe a funny story uh, that, you know, that, that, that really speaks to how this team maybe achieved 9-3 and three or how much fun that they had under Dan Mullen, uh, if there's one you could share, uh, it would be, it'd be great if you could. I mean, there's there's certain moments that were, uh, you know, throughout the year that you could name to see how they progress, to see how they track. You know, I get I get to see some some cool behind the scenes, but uh, you know, there was I've seen it all from the low lows to the highs. I think starting out the same season with with you know lemons, uh, pretty much retiring directly after the Kentucky game, and and you know, pretty much putting out on Twitter twenty minutes after walking out of the locker room before anybody was dressed was something that just to see this team respond was one thing everybody was looking for. And, and to really see that firsthand after a couple you know, scenarios and a couple of big games uh, to turn around from that Kentucky game, to go to Tennessee, you know, Mississippi state, LSU, um, to see, you know, them respond at home against. That's the one thing that I think we sometimes just take for granted how much it can do for you as a, as a team and as a player. That's something this coaching staff, I think, truly believes. And I know Nick Savage believes heavily in that and, and what it can do for you when you're in the face of adversity. Um, 
it's not really like honestly a funny story. I think Kodak Black, the, the whole moment last week of the game, the Kodak Black deal. I think the funniest thing for me was I got to see firsthand when he was when he was calling Dan Mullen back, talking about he got his GED, wanted to go to school, and I was sitting there going like, "Oh man, that's I don't get get President, you know, fixing here. Let's talk to him about it. <laughs> like, let's go ahead and I make this happen." Hey, you say he's gonna be old Scully, bro? What's up? We got we got him on Scully. Yet? I'm telling you, like, if if you had an extra, just pull him a preferred walk on, whatever you got to do, just have him, <laughs> have him hit the clearinghouse, get him past it, like. Label him on a label him on the uh, on the roster as a, a holder for all I care. Like I think for recruiting, that would be one of the best. Uh, that'd have been one of the best tricks in the books if you could get him. <laughs> Dan's looking at me. Dan's looking at me like that paper on the wall behind him ain't gonna mean nothing if that happens. Hey, can I? <laughs> can I? Can I? Can I go back and add to my moment? I think Dan Mullen bringing Kodak on Florida State sideline was smooth. Was an smooth point on the season, bro. Like. I don't know how he pulled that off. I don't know how Florida State allowed such a thing, but he got to that black on that sideline. Who was talking to this man after plays, doing timeouts? That well, you know what? That was the best. Actually, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because the one thing I was standing right in between was when Dan Mullen walked over and gave him a handshake in the middle of the game, like really right after the timeout break. Out the timeout, five to ten <laughs> seconds, like done. He's committed. Like hey, he's good. He's locked in. I think that that was totally planned and orchestrated by by Mullen. I, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Even better. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, and I don't know who else has said it. I don't know if <laughs> Kodak Black can be on Florida sidelines. So I don't know if the FSU game was how they had to make that happen. But if that's the way that they timed it, if that's the opportunity. I mean, right in the middle of a good point, Zach. We got to get you a different. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, they definitely help. <laughs> Got you, bro. It was a little draggy, but we got you. Exactly. Yeah, get out the guest house. Go back to the main house, bro. To record it. Anybody else have anything else? It's uh, fun that we got to do this again. Hang out, uh, get your panel once again. So uh, thank you guys. Uh, I think I can speak for Silk too. That uh, it was pretty neat that we got to do this for Gator Nation out there. It's been it's been a hit every time we've done it, and. Hey, with the first year we did it, uh, we got a 9-3 record out of the Gators. So maybe it was some kind of sign that we got to have fun uh, talking amongst each other and and, and 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 a lot of fun covering covering these Gators this year. Yeah, man. Absolutely, man. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say kick Graham off and you got a national championship in the books. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we improved by, like, just ragging on that uh, ugly thing he had hanging on the wall on the first one. Like, it's, it's everybody a beautiful left. tapestry. Man, I'm in this. I'm in this mental asylum room because y'all hated on the tapestry so much. You can't, you can't pick and choose, man. It's I'm glad you grew the rest of your beard out, man. That, between the tapestry and the mustache, it's a good thing Graham's computer won't do 360 degrees right now. <laughs> Find out a lot about him. All right, bro. I'm sorry. Don't, don't don't turn that thing around. <laughs> I'm not the judge. You guys hear me now? Gotcha. Got you, bro. You went to the main house? Man. <laughs> you got the butler suite? You go crank, I, you go crank I, the, I don't live in I don't live in the boondocks. Did you go crank the generator? I got eight. <laughs> I, I got I got Cox 
I just got the only internet that I can get out here. Oh. Cock, cock communications. They're terrible. <laughs> you live out there. His wife's on the backup generator riding a bike right now, powering that <laughs> with, with the baby in hand. With the baby in hand. Yeah. Let me just let me just add, and then I got to go attend to, to the to the wife. And, and I, it's my turn on the generator. So okay. um, I, I just I, I will say though, I'm gonna be pulling hard for Northwestern this weekend. I hope that they upset Ohio State because if that happens, Florida doesn't play Michigan, which is what I don't want to see. And Florida plays the Buckeyes and Urban Meyer. I think that's a matchup everybody Ooh, would want to show up for. That's the one I want. Western now. That's the one I want. I want that fade. I want that fade. So, absolutely. Micah, thanks, man, for joining us here uh, to get the uh, fans' perspective and then uh, joining us here and getting getting all the getting all of our views and everybody getting yours. Oh, that's no problem, man. Thank y'all for having me. Uh, Silk, you already know what it is. We already chopped it up when I was in Gainesville. That was actually my first trip out there. So uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the panel, man. Uh, Tate, good to see you, man. Hey, good to see you too, boss. Appreciate you joining us, man. Oh, good no, stuff. Problem. no problem. Always got love for those Louisiana boys being from East Texas. <laughs> <laughs> y'all know what's up in the kitchen too. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, Thomas, Nick, Graham, uh, you guys too, you know, for uh, letting me tag along. Uh, we all got together in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. My first time I get to interact with you guys a whole lot. So uh, thanks for trusting me and coming on with this Gator panel and, and all the conversation and stuff. I've like, meant a whole lot. And uh, hey, we got we had to have a lot, of, a lot of fun doing it at the same time. Hey, man, just a bunch of couch tweeters, bro, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate you guys setting this up, man. It's been really cool. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure being on both last two times. Yeah, man, definitely. We'll uh, look forward to doing it in the future. Absolutely. Lose Graham's invite. Nope. <laughs> Big three roll tomorrow. Y'all check that out. Got Chris Lee going. Yeah, that. Chris Lee, that'd be a good one. That'd be a good Ooh. one. That. Dan, and I know the, the last, the, well, the first one, uh, the uh, you and Bill feud. Oh, that, yeah. That, 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 that blew up. That. One. Yeah, we, we blew up, and, and I don't think things have been the same since, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. But 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 for real, no, it's been it's been fun, and I think if we do this in the future, it's it's going to be exciting to watch these Gators grow, man. I you know I I predicted the Gators would go ten and two this year. To be honest with you, I was just doing it for likes and retweets. Uh, you know I I you know I really thought that Florida would probably be eight and four this year. Uh, so going nine and three, the way that they went nine and three, uh, you know I think that that Florida really is building the foundation for a really good program, and you know for for a group of guys that don't have the highest blue chip ratio in, uh, in college football. They did all right, huh? Shout out to Bud. Tate, man, being around the team, uh, playing uh, as well, you know, as much as you did, you know, knowing Coach Mullen like you do too. Uh, thanks for once again, you know, jo joining us here and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, man, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's always been a bit of pleasure coming on and, and at least trying to give uh, one man's opinion. I appreciate you guys' perspective too because you, you're around it too as much as I am. Some of you guys you guys writing and, and being around the team on the road and it's always good seeing you all at the stadiums. And like I said, anytime you all want me on, I'm here. What about Ben True? Yeah. What's that? So what about getting Ben Troop back on? Yeah, yeah, for real, get Ben Troop back on. I'll let it cut it up. Yeah, we, we'll as, have, as, as long as you ain't replacing me. No, no, we'll have, we'll have, we'll have two tight end eighty fours. I think I think we can, I think we can handle that. I'm telling I think you, they don't want to replace you, bro. He's been. Hey. <laughs> I've been lobbying for it for a while. You know? <laughs> He's been lobbying for that move. That's all right. We'll we'll put him on a place of Dan. We'll be good. <laughs> Easy. Easy. 
right, that'll do it for uh, the Gator Panel 2018. I don't know. Next time we'll get together, I don't know. We'll make, maybe spring football, something like that, when, when it's all said and done. But uh, yeah, we do spring. That'd be fun. All right, sounds good. Everybody, make, or make plans for around spring games. So everybody, have a good one. Uh, thanks for joining the 2018 Gator Panel. <laughs>